Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's the Swole Patrol Podcast. We talk about getting super buff and eating lots of animal protein and having big giant boners that are swole. Today's guest is Lane Norton. He is a PhD in nutritional science, and he's stronger than you. Trust me, I don't care who the fuck you are. He's stronger than you, and he's veiny and super buff. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> While you're reading about Cardi B. I was reading You were reading about Cardi B singing that damn song. It's pretty impressive, right? That was impressive. Yeah. Susan, you see that? <laughs> she did I think about that when I ask her, like, ask her, like, what time should I pick her up? If yeah. she's drinking coffee, that's too much. Too big. A <laughs> female. Too, too big a dual female. <laughs> they don't do that. <laughs> women can't do that. Um, so, Doctor Drew, yes, sir. Every once in a while, we have people on that are they're 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 unquestionable. There's all these people in the nutritional world, in the fitness world. That are nothing but book science, okay? Or 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 or, or folk science, one they're or the fo- other. Either they're they're woo woo, yeah. or they're they're they never left the lab and they have man tits. Yes. So so either <laughs> right, either it's pure science, pure bench science, or yeah. pure folk psychology. Really folk psychology, yeah. or they're all anecdotal. Yeah, they're giant and they're buff, but they don't have anyone or any type of uh scientific background to to support their claims. They just it's n plus, you know, n equals 1. Mm-hmm. Today's guest is a man who is a PhD in nutritional sciences and he is also a very very high level powerlifter and bodybuilder as well as a uh physique and bodybuilding coach to many 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 successful men and women. Mm. Uh he is a man that loves to go online and shit on people. <laughs> and I get, I get a lot of entertainment out of him getting in real, real long, drawn-out Twitter fights. Um, and I'm talking about our guest tonight, uh, Lane Norton. How are you, man? I'm great. Thank you, guys. I think that was a very uh, astute observation of my career, <laughs> getting in Twitter fights. Thank you. Uh, I mean, you know, not to, not to wax poetic too much about your background because, you know, it is impressive. Um, but uh, you're, you're, like I said, uh, is it the PhD is in nutritional science? That's correct. Yeah, and uh, from the University of Illinois. And were you already um, someone who knew that that was going to be your career when you got involved in it, or did the study of nutrition get you to become super jacked guy? Uh, no, it's definitely the other way around. So basically, uh, I was always interested in science. I actually wanted to be. Uh, marine science when i was young i wanted to study sharks 
but uh, latter half of my high school life, um, I got I was really bullied pretty badly when I was younger and got no attention from girls. So I picked up lifting to hopefully stop getting bullied and get more attention from girls. Uh, it didn't work for either one of those, <laughs> but it did help me develop uh, self-confidence. And um, uh, by the time I was about uh, a year into my undergraduate, uh, I was doing biology and I ended up switching over to biochemistry because I wanted to learn human metabolism better. Uh, I had started competing in some team bodybuilding shows and then uh, shifted towards um, the open, which is the, the basically uh, the tough category essentially. And um, you know, I would read these muscle magazines and it, cause it, at back then, back in 2001, 2002, that time frame, you didn't really have, the plethora of information you have today. Right. I always tell people it's better today in some aspects and worse today. Cause you've got all the information you want. Now, you, now your problem is trying to sift through it. Back when right. I was a kid, it was back the, in the day, the Joe, Joe, Weider, Ma- Joe Weider magazines were the only magazines that were out there back in your that day. Was it. it was yeah. fucking smokestacks. <laughs> no, Joe Weider had magazines then. Yeah. And, and uh, yes, but also I, you know, to kind of add to that, you were really on the tail end of, of what I thought to be the Neo golden era of bodybuilding that the mid nineties, um, into into two thousand two thousand one, it was just kind of fantastic, you know, with with, uh, with Yates passing the baton to Ronnie Coleman and a lot, you know, Lee Priest, and it was just a, it was a cool time to be into those muscle mags, you know, in, in my opinion. That's because you were in high school. <laughs> yeah, and 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 you know, that's back when people actually cared about bodybuilding, and right. it was on, it was actually even on TV, it was on ESPN. Right. Um. So I actually. Um, basically got into competing. And then from there, uh, knew that I wanted to make a career out of that. I had no idea how I was going to do that because, um, you know, I was in, in, in natural bodybuilding. I never, uh, I've never taken anything personally. I have no problem with people who do. I view that as a personal choice. Um, but I knew I, that it wasn't for me. And so it was kind of like, well, how am I going to make a living in this industry? Because it seems like all the top guys are, are doing that. Um, so what am I going to do? That's going to be different. So, uh, Doing the PhD, about three years into my undergrad, I decided I wanted to, I, I felt like I didn't know anything, so I wanted to go on and do more stuff. Um, and Dr. Lehman at the University of Illinois was doing a lot of really cool protein research. And By the way, so I, I got to stop you. I, I know I'm talking to a scientist at the moment. They say, I don't know. I didn't know anything. I knew then I didn't know anything. That's when you go, <laughs> okay, dude, that's real training. Right. Because if if everybody that has all the answers and narratives and I immediately just go, well, you know what you're talking about. Because we, 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 none, of, none of us in science really know anything. We, we know what we know, and we can say thir- certain things about certain things, and then it's like mm, it's speculation. And far too many. Yeah, I always tell people, if you, wa- if you want to be able to like – put on your bullshit detector and sift through expert versus charlatan. Um, An expert is always going to say things like, well, we think this is important, but only when there's this and we're not really sure about that. And, you know, it might be important and we're not quite sure. And I, when I give seminars, I always tell people, I'm like, you're going to hear me say the three magic words today. I don't know. Like you're going to hear me say that more than you'll hear me give a conclusive answer because like, it's just so contextual dependent. If you've got a real expert, they're always trying to provide a lot of context with any recommendation they give. Yeah. And, um, and, 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 and the I, other thing is that, that, that BSers tend to build explicit narratives. A goes to B, B goes to C, and then, then D. And always, it's always D. It's like, no, 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 no. It's all a giant probability equation. And we think A kind of goes towards B. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it. Yeah. And, and doing my, you know, uh, doing my PhD, that was an extremely humbling experience. Um, 
you know, and I tell people like doing that sort of like, I'm not people getting on one of those Twitter fights. People will say, well, are you saying that people who are the only people who can talk about this stuff are people who have PhDs? I said, no, I've met plenty of people who um, have undergraduate or not even degrees who are very, very intelligent when it comes to this stuff. But again, probability equation, if you've done a PhD, there's probably a higher probability that you're not full of it. Now there's I, I, still some PhDs that are full yeah, of it, yeah. but less likely so. I, I think there's also, and I, I know on the medical side, it's important to have, I, I'm wondering if it's the same on the sort of bench science side, is a, a real familiarity with the literature, what's published. So you sort of see the spectrum of what people are doing, what the outcomes have been, how people are thinking, what kind of statistical analysis they've done. If you haven't read all the literature, not all, but you know, wide ranges of literature and some particular question you're trying to answer, you don't know where you are, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and, and trying to kind of, you know, even realizing that when you read scientific papers, if you're, if you're just reading like the abstract or the conclusion, yeah. like that's just somebody's opinion. That's yeah, just yeah. the researcher's opinion. Like right. actually, like if you really want to know the, the the answer to a question, sitting down and actually taking the time to kind of sift through the data. And this is a very painstaking process. Yeah. You know, I, I tell people, I feel really bad for the average person who's trying to get, you know, advice on nutrition because, yeah. you know, what most people are attracted to is going to be the the person who's speaking very authoritatively, who's very sure of themselves, who's saying, nope. Carbs are evil. That's why you can't lose weight, you know, instead of somebody saying, well, you know, um, if low carb helps you with satiety and adherence, then it's probably a little bit better. But, you know, for some people, it's actually worse. And, you know, it doesn't seem to be better than a a calorie protein equated non ketogenic diet. But that's not what people want to hear. People say, well, insulin blocks all fat burning. So, you know, you just got to cut your insulin out by by stopping taking it. And the reality is, is like, I always joke, I say, yeah, you know, the, the, the body has tens of thousands of metabolic processes all going on at the same time, enormously complex, but yeah, we're pretty sure it's just carbs. Each cell has tens of thousands going on simultaneously. We don't even know the relationship amongst the cells oftentimes. But, but uh, exactly. Yeah. But I, I, I want to sort of put a hang a lantern on something you said there, which each, each individual's biology is slightly different too on top of that. So good for some, not good for others. That's why I was resisting your stuff when you'd always try to get me to do stuff. If you notice, my language is always very similar. To I understand la- that. I'd always go, eh, But eh, I would maybe, never eh. recommend something saying that this is the way to do it and it's a panacea. No, no, I no. I would say to you, I know. I'm hearing your your given set of problems. Yeah. This is what I'm recommending. I get it. And, but but my what I'm telling you is when you see me, it, it, I, have to, I ruminate about stuff for a long time before I make a decision because of the same skepticism you're hearing Lane sort of uh, suggest. So. Let's dive right into that which is really kind of probably the biggest thorn in your side right now and that is the these these very aggressive kind of keto warriors um <laughs> is it weird and, we're in that world and i'm not and i'm is this a new thing it, and, uh, it, i think it is i think i think it's almost a extrapolation of trump political well i was gonna say i i think i think right i think the extremism and the politics i think our lack of religion has caused us to hang on to other things and act religiously. Oh, you just got yourself into a new fucking war with saying well, that. Actually, <laughs> but no, because I, I can explain this it, very easily. But I will tell you, it's, it pertains to addiction and recovery. People get religious about that. Certain mental health yeah. ideas, they get religious. They just get this religious fervor around things that are not religious. Yeah. They're scientific questions. People like to belong to something. Yeah. yeah. That that's why. I mean, if you if you ever post about uh, artificial sweeteners, if, if you if you if you ever post something about maybe artificial sweeteners aren't the devil, 
Yeah. Um, you will have hundreds of people coming on. I, I had a lady tell me that I should lose my PhD because I said that, you know, aspartame wasn't poison. But, but think of that and, psychology. Think of that psychology. It's first of all, it's, it's sort of flat earth psychology, right? right. It's like my world, yes. my worldview is dependent on anti-vax, anti-aspartame, whatever it is. And you as a scientist must be destroyed for even questioning my worldview, which is a very primitive, very bizarre way to look at the world, everybody. And unfortunately, a lot of people are that way these days. Do you think that is, it's just tribalism, Lane? Well, but it's just tribalism. It's just narcissism when you get right down to it. But go ahead. I think a lot of it is tribalism. Uh, I think that, you know, um, I, so you, you mentioned politics, Drew. Uh, I think one of the things that's that's interesting, and I, like I come up from a personal perspective, so I, I, I would be considered, um, I'm going to alienate everybody on the show, but I would be considered, I guess, what it would be like a classic libertarian, I guess yeah, would be look, my, that's my the, you, you understand something. Yeah. Most, most people are in the middle. We're all being held hostage. Right. We're all being right. held hostage by the extremes. The but but yeah. that's what, but that's what happens is because people say, they'll, you know, like for example, I, I'm a, I, I own guns. I like to shoot. It's one of my hobbies. I'm a believer in the second amendment. So I was a member of the NRA for a while. And um, I would like, like, I was like, okay, well, this is important. But then there was like other stances that I found myself starting to like take and then having to step back and say, wait, I don't actually believe that. Why am I, why am I siding with this? Yeah. And I think it's just that, you know, you buy into one thing and then you feel like you're buying it. My parents are libertarians, hundred percent. Like they're, they're like me, but they, they identify as Republicans. And yeah. I'm like, you guys aren't Republicans. Right. Like, right. What are you doing? You're not a Republican. You don't believe this stuff. Yeah. Like half this stuff that you guys are, are watching is garbage. So I think that that can translate over to almost anything, you know? So because something works for one person, so because somebody has success on, for example, a keto diet, um, they feel they're so fervent about that. And then they get together with other people who they've seen have success. And they say, well, this is, this is the, this is the solution. Why yeah. can't everybody do that? And I, I heard uh, my friend Greg Knuckles. He said something one time that I think was great. Sounds and like a mafia hitman. I'm Greg Knuckles. <laughs> Either that or Dick Tracy yeah, character. <laughs> he's actually probably one of the smartest people in fitness. This guy got a 1600 on his SAT as wow. like a 15 year old. Oh jeez! And he's a, he's now a, he just he just white writes. Guy? <laughs> What's that? This is a non Asian. A non Asian. Wow. Yeah, has a fabulous beard. Uh, a beer connoisseur, and actually a world record uh, for a little while, world record powerlifting holder, very strong oh guy gosh, too. Cool. But uh, Greg said, you know, uh, bros and, and bros make the mistake of because something worked for them, they believe they want to apply it to everybody. Right. And people who are are science advocates sometimes we make the mistake of because something was best for the average, yeah, we yeah. tried to then say it should work for the individual. Okay, so talk Both about because that, that's a great that, – that's the failure of how we statistically analyze clinical science, particularly now, right? Yeah, because you know, I, I tell people, you know, I think we start at the average, but you're not an average. Yeah. You're not an average. You're, not, you're an individual, right? Yeah. So we want to start at the average with our recommendations because it, on average, it's going to be the, the best outcome. But understanding that some people, even though in studies we see no difference with, you know, low carb versus low fat versus if calories are equated, for certain individuals, some things may be better. And I'm not discounting that. What I'm discounting is trying to apply specific diets to everybody saying that that's the, you know, that's the, the, the 
hundred percent, everybody should do it that way. And, uh, you know, I think like for me, I've coached probably over 1500 people in the past 13, 14 years. And I think one of the things that was, if you're just paying attention and you work with that many people, you figure a lot of this stuff out on your own. If you're just paying attention, uh, instead of just dogmatically trying to do the same things over and over and over again, because the way I coach is now is so different than how I did it 13 years ago. Um, but I think people, and even, um, you know, even in the medical profession, even in the science profession, we can get so locked into a position, especially if we get attacked a lot that, uh, we just say, no, this is how it's done. And this is how you should do it. And getting back to that, you are, I, I've seen you, uh, the only comparison I could make is seeing people who, my friends who hunt and I've, you know, just started to dabble into the world of hunting, how, how quickly you will be attacked and with almost a, a, an, an un, an irrational uh, fervor religious. by, religious. by um, the animal rights people. You get attacked by the low carb community in a way that I, I mean I, I I almost can't I can't explain it because you're just a guy trying to give health and fitness advice and you're damn good at it. I don't understand why if something works for someone why they have to then attack you. Um, <laughs> has this been something that's been going on for a long time and I just took and, and by the way. If he figures it out, you know, you know. Remember how people attack me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I wonder if he's getting some of the. Maybe it's something about the way we present these things. That's no. That that if was, he figures it out, I want to hear it because that I, was I get, kind I, of my question: is is this been something that's been going on for the entirety of your career, and I'm just catching wind of it, or is this something that's kind of blown up with this explosion of keto? I think it's that, but I think I've kind of like battled different groups on and off. I'm I'm kind of the kind of person like I'm not a. I'm not a punch in the face kind of guy. Like I'm not just going to start going after people, sure. but um, if somebody comes after me, I'm going to tell you how I really feel. You know, like if you, if you say something to me, I'm probably going to tell you how exactly how I feel about it. Just yeah. So I guess, I guess having, mom, having, having, um, having really clear, deliberate opinions today is just, you're going to get attacked. Yeah. You're, you're way it is. Yeah, yeah. That, that is true. That is true. Um, and I, I've told people, even if you're just passionate about something, yeah. you'll get attacked. Yeah. If you're passionate about something, you'll get attacked. Um, I think that um, what's funny is I've actually never said that low carb is bad or low carb. You know, some people will try to come from the perspective of because they, they don't like keto zealots, they'll come, well, low carb is actually bad for you. I, I think there's, there's no data to suggest that. Um, I think that, you know, if you look at the statistics on dieting, um, we don't have a weight loss problem. Six out of every seven people who lose weight in their lifetime or who are obese will lose a significant amount of body weight in their lifetime. Think about everybody you know that's ever been fat. Some of them have done a diet and some of them have gotten off a decent amount. The problem is, is that the relapse statistics are absolutely staggering. Within one year, 70% relapse to a previous weight. Within two years, it's 85%. Within three years, it's 95%. So that means diets have a 95% failure rate. Mm. Uh, in fact, almost comically, there was a, um, uh, a review that came out in the, I think it was American Journal of Clinical Nutrition that basically said that Dieting was not an effective weight loss strategy right. <laughs> for yeah. long term. And so I think what we really need to focus on is everything has to start with adherence. The problem is, is that things like keto or things like paleo or things where you're just cutting out food groups or you're cutting out a bunch of different stuff. I always tell people, hey, that's great if you can lose 30 pounds on it, but are you going to stick to that for the rest of your life? 
Like, is that going to be actually become a lifestyle for you? That's where Drew's I mean, at right now. That's where Dr. Drew's right at. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. He's, yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's very difficult. You have to find something. I think it's where your lifestyle caloric restriction and activity can kind of intersect. Also, there's, and, there's another feature that I've never had before when I was managing diet was the, the reward of feeling as good as I do is so reinforcing that it motivates me in a way no other maintenance has. In other words, I'm, I'm now I'm actually phobic of losing how I'm feeling. It's a weird shift in my thinking. Although I'm having weird cravings and I'm kind of feeling like I'm plateauing and probably adding some carbs is a smart idea. And I'm worried that I'm actually going to slip into – I'm so carb-motivated. I get, I'm sort of addicted to them. I'm afraid I'm going to chip and then slip all the way back in. Well, I think that, you know, if 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 – Losing weight and then keeping it off is the goal. There's a couple of different factors that come because actually the, not only are the relapse statistics bad, one third to two thirds of people who lose weight actually put on more than they lost. Yeah. And this is kind of the, your classic yo-yo dieters. Um, I think a lot more data is going to come out in the future on basically that adherence is very individual and what is going to be the best diet for one person is going to be very different to what's the best diet for another person. Yep. Yep. And, and it's going to come down to what can that person stick to? What is, is good for that individual and their lifestyle. And for some people, I have friends who, you know, they can eat reduced carbon. I think ketogenic is almost, I mean, people can't even stick to it for epilepsy when it could save, you know, possibly save their life. Right. So I think it's pretty unmaintainable for most people, but I think a reduced carbohydrate intake with a little bit more fat is probably a little bit more sustainable in a lot of ways, because you can go to say a restaurant and you can find uh, lower carbohydrate dishes, but it's pretty hard to eat out and be social when you're, when you're eating a really low fat diet, those things are pretty tough, but for some people they don't mind it. They don't mind doing low fat. So what I always say is, Hey, if, if all, the great news is if calories and protein are equated because protein does seem to have a benefit on satiety and thermogenesis, but if calories, protein, and fiber are equated, you can kind of do whatever you want with carbs and fat, which is great news because it means it, it's up to you, right? I, I, so I think that uh, we're going to get more individual data on, on what works better for individuals. They actually did a study where they allowed people to diet for a certain period of time, and then they let them self-select diets. They calorically restricted them and they found that the relapse statistics were better than usual because they let them self-select a diet that they enjoyed essentially. Gotcha. And I'm, I'm not really looking for weight loss, really. I'm just trying to get an optimal kind of diet. And, and we, remember, we got into this because you got me lifting heavier weights again. Uh, and and I, I'm not quite sure what my goal is, to tell you the truth. I, I just like how I feel yeah. on this more than anything. Well, then I, that's great. Yeah. Like, like uh, in fact – I always tell people like um, even though we we have this data that calorie restriction seems to do something well, um, calorie restriction when done too much is a really bad thing. You, you um, In fact, there's way too many people out there who diet way too often uh, and it, it over the long term actually lowers their metabolic rate in the long term, makes it more difficult to lose weight. Um, so there's a fine balance between making sure that you have that you're lean enough, but also not dieting too frequently as right, well. Right. Um, so just lifting, but like the best things you can do for your body are 
eat in, in, with some kind of restriction, even if you're not below your maintenance calories, if you're just eating with restriction, you're not eating like a glutton, that's good. Resistance training, really good. And some form of aerobic training, a little bit of it, probably also good. Let, let me ask you, you mentioned bulk and passing. Uh, and and uh, why are people worried about that when you can get more? Hold on, and let me interject. For the people that are listening that are bodybuilders, Dr. Drew's talking about fiber. Fiber. He's not talking pardon. about a bulk yeah, session. Yeah, fiber. Bulk I, I meant fiber. I, I should have said fiber. Yeah. Uh, I just think of fiber and bulk is the same way. I, I People go, oh, that diet's no good. It's not enough, not enough fiber. I think, well, then take two fistfuls of uh, psyllium husk. What, what, what the hell? That's way more fiber and bulk than you'll get in any other diet. Why, why is, is there something wrong with uh, bulk supplements, fiber supplements? I think fiber supplements are great. Yeah. I, I do think that if you look at like some of the micronutrients in vegetables – that's different. Um, That's a different issue. That's a different issue. I, I heard people sometimes. I was talking about the carnivore or something. They went, "There's not enough bulk." I went, oh. and, and I went, I went. Well, I take I take psyllium husk, and I got tons of fiber and tons of bulk, and that's that. But go ahead, finish. Yeah, no, that and, and that's fine. I mean, you know, if you look at the research data, it seems to, again it seems to suggest if you equate for fiber and whatnot, and as long as you're getting enough insoluble fiber as well, because yeah, yeah. most of the fiber supplements out there tend to be. Uh, soluble fiber, but as long as you're getting enough insoluble fiber as well, I think that's good. I think that uh, vegetables probably do contain some micronutrients sure. like, uh, you know, the sulforaphanes and those sorts of things, lycopenes that are, are do have some some modest health benefits. Sure. Uh, and I always tell people like the more the more variety you can include in your diet, usually the better off you're going to be, just because you're getting a broad spectrum of micronutrients that way. But at the end of the day, everything has to boil boil back to, okay, what are the main priorities? And one of the main priorities is adherence. So yeah. regardless of whether or not something may get you a little more vitamin C, if another style of eating enables you to be more consistent, then that's probably a better style of eating for you. So I always tell people like, you know, <laughs> this is what nobody wants to admit is if you do something that's really – if you do something that's really good for cancer, you might actually do something that's bad for heart disease. Or if you do something that's really good for um, diabetes, you know, some other health problem, yeah. then, or for like sarcopenia or yeah. bone health, then you yeah. might do something that's really bad for something else. And right. you know, trying to kind of balance these things, the, the idea that there's this one magical diet that fixes everything, that's just not true. No, the, the, and the, there probably the, are trade-offs. The recommendations are based on specific questions. Let's reduce heart disease. Up oh, here's here's a dietary procedure that reduces heart disease, may increase the risk of cancer, may make you live shorter, right? But it will reduce the risk of heart disease. So the, the, you have to understand, science only answers very specific questions. Getting getting into that um, and extrapolating on on that exact point, um, so many people I see, uh, Lane, and just in my you know, real, real amateur involvement in giving advice on on lifting and, and weight, uh, nutrition and stuff. So many people make that same mistake, but with their lifestyle, meaning uh, they follow a diet that may be great for a power lifter, but they're an endurance athlete, or they follow something, uh, they're a CrossFitter and they're trying to keep, go keto. Um, do you see a lot of problem with people kind of compromising their performance and their physique in one way in hopes of gaining an advantage in another? Yeah. I mean, LeBron James went on a vegetarian diet. I mean, he's the greatest basketballer in the world, but that is, a, I mean, and listen, I have no problems. With, I, I admire people who, you know, they 
make an ethical stand and they say, okay, I'm not, I'm not for the way animals are treated. Okay, fine. But it's going to compromise your, your, your performance. Like that's just how it goes. Same thing with keto. Like people want to make, you know, if you're doing any kind of anaerobic or sprint sort of stuff, like keto, you can't use ketones for anaerobic exercise. They just, you have to use glucose. That's, that's just how it is. Um, So yes, I think that, um, people need to eat for whatever specifically they're going to do, especially if you're talking about athletes, um, you know, eat for your sport. And, you know, when it comes to actually, it was really interesting. Um, there was a, a survey done of competitive bodybuilders and this goes back to the, the whole low carb thing. They actually found that the bodybuilders who tended to, to win more shows, and this is just a correlation study actually had the higher carb intakes. Mm-hmm. So, Bodybuilders who were winning more shows had higher levels of carbohydrate intake. Now, I, I think the probably the way to look at that is they they have probably faster metabolisms and they're probably a little bit better genetically, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. But what it certainly also says is that carbohydrates weren't hurting them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I think that, yes, that these things, again, boil so much down to the individually the individuality and even individual metabolic rates. I mean, I've seen huge differences from people I've worked. I've had people who I've had over 5,000 calories a day who weigh 170 pounds and they're maintaining their body weight. Yeah. And they're not, they're not even that active either. Right now they, they might fidget a lot. They might have a lot of uh, what we call neat non non-exercise adaptive thermogenesis, but they're not like going out and running marathons or anything. And by the same contrast, I've had people who are literally endurance athletes who can maintain their body weight on amount levels of calories that you would not believe because you think it'd be impossible because it's so low. And uh, I just think it's incredible the amount of, uh, you know, genetic diversity. I did my PhD. We were were working with rodents and, and, you know, people poo poo rat studies, but you know, with rats, if you're looking at a specific question, you can get, a, I can get a genetically undiverse, uh, homo, homozygous population, yeah. apply a treatment, yeah, and yeah. I can be pretty darn sure that what, whatever happens to them, if there's any differences, that it was because of the treatment, not because of just basic genetic differences. And speaking of genetic, and that's one of the problems you get when you work with humans. And any opinion on, I know we have to take a little break, maybe, okay. but maybe, maybe after the break, we answer this question, which is, uh, these these fitness genetic profiling that's going on these days. There are a few different organizations out there, both from the standpoint of dietary recommendations and muscle performance and training. So, yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll take a real quick break and then we will get uh, we'll get Lane's take on that again. Our guest is Dr. Lane Norton, and we'll be right back. Well, it's about time for athletes, trainers to report for the start of the fall season, but we are still dealing with that extreme heat. So even if you're training indoors, dehydration is a major issue for amateurs and pros. Water, sports drinks, they do not do a great job. I've known this for a long time. That's why I wanted to develop a product. Instead, Hydrolyte came along, so I strongly suggest you stay ahead of your hydration with Hydrolyte. The best way to stay hydrated is with a proper balance of sodium, glucose, and water, and Hydrolyte does this better than anything else I've tried. Everyone here swears by it, my wife, my kids, my patients. I use it if patients need rehydration. It's a way to replete hydration orally this gets you ahead of the game and so you can sometimes avoid hospitalization things in my experience hydrolyte comes in great flavors like orange berry and lemonade available as a pre-mixed drink a powder or my personal preference is these effervescence tablets you simply drop in a glass of water or a bottle of water 
Literally, uh, we don't leave home without these. Compared to sports drinks, Hydrolyte delivers up to four times the electrolytes with 75% less sugars. Hydrolyte solutions are appropriate for all ages, and each bottle or package includes easy-to-follow instructions. This is the best hydration product out there, period, and you can find Hydrolyte at Rite Aid or at hydrolite.com slash drdrew, D-R-D-R-E-W. And for a limited time, our listeners can save 30% on Hydrolyte. I just sent my daughter over to buy this stuff. She's like, I need Hydrolyte. I'm like, go to the website and use the code drdrew18, D-R-D-R-E-W-18 at checkout. That is H-Y-D-R-A-L-Y-T-E dot com, hydrolite.com slash D-R-D-R-E-W-18. To use that code, get 30% off. You won't need any other hydration products. It's the best. Back here on the Swole Patrol, Lane Norton, our guest, at BioLane on Twitter, and then BioLane.com, a website I can't recommend enough. We'll get into that a little bit later, but uh, Lane, the question we were talking about uh, right before the break, uh, a lot of the, you know, we're starting to see genetic testing come up, and people are using it to kind of cater their training and their diet. Uh, any Any feelings on that? I will qualify this by saying I have not looked super in depth at this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'll qualify by it, but I'll, I'll give you my gut feeling based on the lat, based on my research in grad school and whatnot. I I think that we, we're, we're, we have a lot of sequences, genomic profiles, those sorts of things. I think in the next 10 years, we're going to get a ton of information. I think right now, we don't have enough information to, even though we can sequence DNA, we can look at DNA, we know what a genetic pro, what a genetic profile looks like. I don't think we have enough information yeah. to make to make recommendations based on a genetic at, profile. At least, at least not, not on a large scale basis. That makes right. sense to me. I, I got to tell you, I did an evaluation with Fitness Genes, and they pretty much nailed me. They pretty much he, he was telling me stuff that I already knew that trainers have been telling me otherwise for a long time. And, and, and I was like, well, then that, and that actually motivated me. That's how I ended up lifting the heavy weights again. Yeah. Cause somebody, he'd sort of given me permission. Like, well, that's, that's your sort of, your muscle metabolism sort of set up that way. And I was like, I knew it. I, I knew it. I, I, that's the only thing I like doing. It's the only thing I'm capable of doing. The only thing I get progress from and feel like I'm getting something out of. And then uh, Mark Bell put the cap on. <laughs> yeah, he, he finally put the, the, the nail in the coffin. Um, <laughs> we were talking about uh, BioLane.com, your website, and uh, it, really a wealth of great information. And um, we, we, we talked so much, ex- really extensively now, about the individual individuality of a person. And I would imagine that uh, carries over into training as well. And I think your workout builder is – Probably the most practical solution I've seen um, out there, especially for you know as far as internet resources. Um, and tell me a little bit about it and and how you came to develop uh, what I think to be a, just a really really fantastic and extensive uh, workout builder that I'm, kind of I'm caters to. Right it's called um, Workout Builder. It go biolane dot com. Okay. Right. Doctor Drew's doing it I'm as doing we it speak, right and I hope <laughs> listeners are as well. <laughs> But uh, uh, you just – really, I mean, it it, it 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 does something that a lot of places don't do, and that is it caters the training to your desired goal, which is something that so many people screw up. Yeah. So, I mean, that actually started uh, with my, my partner in the website, Chris Bacuza. Um, he was the – he's the developer on the, the development side. And he said, you know, would you think about 
I had a uh, program on bodybuilding.com called PH3. Um, and it was really a much different training program than anybody there had ever seen or filmed. We did a big feature for it. Uh, he's like, you know, what about doing something like this for the website, but having different profiles. So we have, you know, something for everybody. We have things for women, things for men. We have beginner, we intermediate advanced. We have different things for different goals. And when we started doing that, and then I, I said, you know, well, the problem is, is that not everybody has access to certain equipment. Not everybody has or wants to, and not everybody wants to do the same exercise every week, that sort of thing. So we set it up modular so that even though each uh, program is basically a 12 week training template, uh, it's completely customizable in terms of your exercise selection. And, um, and we're actually planning to grow this a lot more. I, my uh, personal powerlifting coach. His name's Andres Vargas. He has a master's in exercise science. Really smart guy. That guy just sounds and, strong. Uh, that, Andres that, Vargas? <laughs> Andres Vargas just sounds like someone who powerlifts a lot. Have you, have you ever noticed that, just a side rant, uh, that all the strongman competitors, their names sound exactly like what you would expect? Yes. Sedrunas, <laughs> yes. Savickas, uh, <laughs> Magnus for Magnuson. You know, like, like, it was like they were just born and they were like, you're going to be really freaking strong. Yeah. No, you know? God put them on this earth to do one thing and they found <laughs> That's it. That's right. Yeah. You're, yeah. You never see like a, a, a Bobby Smith no. in the world's strongest man. No. You know? So, um, yeah, that was kind of how we came up with the, uh, the workout builder. And I think we've got about 20 templates right now and we're coming out with more and more uh, every week. So we plan to expand that and, and, and make it even bigger. So that's been a big focus as well as um, – uh, I finally wrote a book after 15 years, probably probably six years later than I should have written it, but still got it anyway. And and uh, uh, was this, I mean, an undertaking that you actually questioned while you were doing it? Because I don't know what went into it, but just from an outsider's point of view, it seemed like something that took an extraordinary amount of work. <laughs> Uh, yeah, a lot of work. Um, because you know, you're, you're basically, you're, I'm starting out, I do my programming, uh, in Excel and then, you know, you have to kind of come up with a program, first of all, that you think is going to work well. Uh, and then you have to, uh, kind of make that program now go into code on the back end and then make it look pretty on the front end. And, you know, from A to B to C, you know, that's, it probably took us about a year to get it cranking, you know, pretty well. And that's working on it quite a bit. So, I mean, you guys probably know this if you've had any experience with, you know, having a website or anything like that, like stuff always takes way longer than you think it's going to take. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so we're, we're expanding that. Um, you know, it, it seems because it seems like uh, that people, th this is going to be something that people want. And, some form of automation is the future. I mean, like personal coaching, I think there's always going to be a place for the, the stuff I do because people love having feedback from a person, but not everybody can afford hundreds of dollars a month on a nutrition coach or, a tra or somebody to do training and programming for them. So giving them an option that's, you know, I think we're, we're at like $12.99 a month, you know, that, that's a great option for a lot of people uh, who wouldn't be able to afford it either otherwise. Um, the, the biggest thing that I see when I, when I scroll through your Twitter, uh, feuds and I do it frequently, I laugh my ass off. I sit back and just laugh hysterically. Um, but one of the things that I see that really irks me is that there is a handful, not all, but there's a handful of, um, really, um, 
radical kind of keto religious people that try to push the idea that calorie overall calorie consumption doesn't matter uh, in the absence of certain macronutrients. And, you know, from a guy who's been through it coaching clients, from a guy who's been through it with his own physique, and now as a man of science, how just how untrue is that? Because to me, it just seems blasphemous. I think people misunderstand certain. So, so when you say something like, okay, um, there was a recent study that uh, came out of Dr. Bill Campbell's lab at USF and, and Bill's a, a really fantastic researcher. And they found that when they overfed protein, uh, there were, they got very little fat deposition for the amount of calories they overfed. And so people will use something like that and say, see, calories don't actually matter because they fed them all these calories and they, and, and they didn't put on as much body fat as they should have that you're making it. That's a completely separate argument. Well, what, what that means is that protein is an inefficient source of body fat storage. It doesn't mean that calories don't count. Um, plus people who are eating more protein, they're probably also eating less carbohydrates and fats. So, uh, when you look at, you know, like protein and fiber, they're about 30, they have a, a what we call thermic effective food, which is a, a TEF. And they're about 30%. Fat, uh, carbohydrates are about 6 to 8% and fats are about 2 to 3%. So if you eat a diet higher in protein, uh, you could be calorie matched. You could be the two diets, one's at 2000 calories uh, and has, you know, 200 grams of protein. The other has 100 grams of protein. Um, you know, the diet with 200 grams of protein, if all calories are matched, you're probably going to see a little bit more weight loss or at least better retention of lean body mass. And so people will take that and say, well, calories don't count. Well, that's not what that's saying. Um, calories do count. Uh, it just means that if you're on a higher protein diet, you probably uh, can consume a little bit more calories and still maintain your body weight. It doesn't mean they don't count. Right. right. If you're if you're saying calories don't count, then what you're saying is is that the thermodynamics don't matter. The I, first law I, of thermodynamics. Somehow there's magic going on. But by the way, the the thermogenicity I feel like plateaued in some way in my diet. Is that does there an adjustment that goes on? Is there some thyroid metabolism involved here or something? Well, metabolism adapts all the time. Yeah. It's actually one of my passions to to learn about. I've gotten really really into this. Um, yes. So. If you, for example, if you diet down, uh, I'm going to take it from the opposite direction for now. But yeah. uh, if you diet, um, we used to think that the slowing of metabolic rate from from dieting was simply because you lost mass. So if you have less mass, less energy cost to move around. And what we know now is uh, that's not true. In fact, it it all your body basically overreacts to dieting. Well, you're, evolutionarily, um, and, it should, right? Just from an evolutionary perspective, your body should go, oh, crap, starvation coming, get ready. That's exactly right. So there's a researcher named uh, Dan McLean at the University of Denver, and he had a line, he did a, 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 a huge review called uh, Biology's Response to Dieting, the Impetus for Weight Regain. It was fantastic. Best review paper I've ever read. But he said a line, and he said, um, dieting activates the body's self-defense system yeah. or dieting kind of improperly like crash dieting. And you see this with people who have dieted uh, many times over the course of their life, kind of fad dieting, yo-yo dieting. They get to the point where they have a very hard time losing weight regardless of how low they take their calories. 
Um, so you get this, this activation of your body's self-defense system and it, it, it affects so many things. It'll affect your, your, your basal metabolic rate. Your, you, you'll affect your uh, NEAT. Uh, it affects your, um, even the adipose cells. So we used to, this is what's really cool. We used to think that uh, adipose tissue was just this like Iner- inert, amorph- yeah. amorphous, inert tissue. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now we know that adipose is actually an organ. Yeah. It fits every definition of organ. It uh, receives hormonal signals. It sends out hormonal signals. It talks to the brain. Yeah. Uh, you have things like leptin, which is kind of your body, your your body's body fat thermostat, for lack of a better term. Um. And even the changes that occur to the adipocyte when you're dieting, the, the reduction in flux of fatty acids and carbohydrate across the adipocyte cause, uh, in fact, they've, they've shown that um, dieting places a strain on the extracellular, extracellular matrix of your adipose tissue that predisposes you to weight regain when you finish dieting. Yeah. So one of the things I talk about a lot um, in, in my, uh, my talks is make sure if you're dieting, you also focus on the diet after the diet that you're not just thinking about, okay, what, because most people, when they finish diet, they're like, Oh, I can't wait to eat, you know, this and this and this. And it's like, well, you're just with that mentality, you're just going to gain it all back anyway. You know? And there's actually some research that shows because at the end of the diet, because of the, if you're talking about a long diet where you're low calories, the hormonal milieu, low, low reduced thyroid, uh, re- increased um, stress on the extracellular matrix that you can actually form new fat cells if you regain body fat too quickly. Yeah, I'd heard about that. Yeah, and it's it's pretty fascinating stuff because, yeah. like I said, we used to think about, and we also know now there's fat cell turnover. Uh, we used to think that fat cells, just whatever number you have, was what you had. Yeah. Now we know that your body's making new fat soil, so new fat cells and destroying old fat cells simultaneously. It's just that that almost is at equilibrium almost all the time. And it's extremely tightly controlled. But when you get in specific circumstances and if you think about how the body would react um, to famine, if you're going back into say caveman days, um, if not only would it want a lower metabolic rate, if you were in a time of famine, it would also want to make it so that if you came across a massive food source, you know, back in 10,000, 20,000 years ago, we couldn't, we couldn't just throw stuff in the fridge. Right. So if you came across a massive food stuff, you would want to be able to capture all that energy. You would not want to waste any of it. And you can only store so much fat per unit time into adipose, into an adipose cell. So if you were exceeding your body's ability to store uh, that rate, it could trigger uh, what we call a differentiation of pre-adipocytes into fully formed adipocytes. So I, that, that stuff I just find absolutely well, fascinating. And, and it's biology at its core. And so, you know, whenever, whenever you want to think, does this biologically make sense? You always have to think evolutionarily. And that's what, yes. and I very rarely hear people talk about diet from an evolutionary perspective. So my, my advisor, my PhD advisor, Don Lehman was fantastic at doing that. He, he would always say, Lane, why do you think, this happens this way. Yeah. And I'd be like, Oh man, come on. I'm, I'm just yeah. trying to get finished with well, this. But stuff. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, just, it's just confirmation. It just helps you understand, you know, it helps you sort of frame whatever it is you're observing. That's right. I mean, he, he asked me one time. So the, the, the amino acid, uh, the body kind of evolved to sense one amino acid in terms of out of all the 20, the spectrum in protein, instead of sensing every individual amino acid to trigger muscle protein synthesis, it basically senses one, it senses leucine. 
And uh, one day he asked me, he said, Lane, why do you think the body did this? Why, teleologically, why did you think the body did this? And I was kind of, I was like, I was a second year grad student. So I was kind of fumbling around my words and didn't really, you know, was kind of unconfident. And he said, well, you would want something that wasn't largely extracted by the gut and liver. Because if, if you were talking about like an amino acid that got extracted by the gut and liver, then the levels that you took in weren't going to be reflected as terms of what the muscle sees. Mm-hmm. So you'd want something that the muscle would, would see what's reflected in the diet. And then you would want something that has a uh, passive uh, diffusion across the cell wall that was equilibrium driven, that wasn't yeah. active transport, which is how leucine is. And so, you know, just hearing him talk about that kind of stuff, you know, it always, it always got me thinking, like you said, when you look at something or you look at a hypothesis or, or anybody makes statements, you say, does this make sense in terms of evolution? Yeah. Because you have to think about, I always tell people this when, when they're saying, when they're having trouble getting lean and I'll say, well, you know, your body cares about keeping you alive long enough to pass on your genetic material. That's, That's what your body wants to do. Period. It does not care about you having a six pack. That's it right. really doesn't. That's right. No, that, that's absolutely true. And that being said, would it st- uh, would you know? And I'm talking as the only layman here in the in the conversation. Would it behoove you to maximize your leucine intake, but from you know finding the right protein sources that are high in leucine or supplementing with uh, supplementation? Leucine doesn't appear to be a muscle builder because you need the other amino acids to actually build the peptides that that are. Um, uh, you know, that are in muscle. Um, but I would say it's more of an anti-catabolic agent and more of a recovery agent. They have shown that like, um, so leucine is one of the three branch chain amino acids and the three branch chain amino acids when supplemented uh, seem to improve recovery from workouts. So they, they decrease soreness, uh, improve time to strength recovery and, and seem to kind of jumpstart the process. But, you know, if you're getting enough protein overall in your day, that seems to be by far uh, the most important thing. Um, so I think, you know, like, and for example, the sources of protein that you would think would be the best are the ones that are highest in leucine. So like whey protein is the highest, uh, source of leucine, uh, yeah. of any protein source that I know of. Um, it's about 10 to 12%. Uh, and then, you know, things like, um, eggs, eggs are about 9%. And then, you know, all the meats are around 8%. So those are all really good sources of leucine. Um, you get into something like wheat protein. Wheat is pretty poor, um, about 6.8% leucine. And in fact, the, the study, a lot of the studies we did in my PhD, um, we're looking at feeding uh, the same amounts of protein, of total protein, but just varying the protein source and just seeing if we got any differences. And our, our final experiment we fed either uh, wheat, soy, egg, or whey protein as the, the only source of protein for these uh, for these for these animals, and then looked at what happened to their their not only their their markers of, of muscle protein metabolism, but also their their just their their body mass and their their muscle weights, and we found that animals uh, fed whey and egg had better outcomes muscle wise than animals fed wheat and soy. Um, so, I mean, now people will take that and say, well, does that mean that, you know, you can't be, you can't build muscle if you're vegetarian? No, that, that doesn't mean that at all. Plenty of vegetarians and vegans build muscle. Are you going to build as much muscle as you would if you included some of these better protein sources? That's hard to say. Now, I will say that if you take a poor, sor- a poor quality protein source like wheat and you eat enough of it, 
it, it still has the same anabolic effect. But like, for example, something like wheat, you might need say 50 grams, whereas with whey protein, you'd only need 30 grams. Right. So the thresholds change. And we even, uh, we showed that it really was leucine that was causing this difference because we took wheat protein, which is a, a pretty poor protein source and just added free leucine to match the, to make it the same concentration as whey protein. That was the only thing we changed. And we found that the results in terms of muscle and muscle protein metabolism became equated. were exactly the same. So another option for vegans or vegetarians, I know this question wasn't asked, but I can hear the audience that's wondering great, it, that's a great answer. Um, is if you're, if you are a vegan or vegetarian, then something like a supplemental leucine or supplemental branched amino acids, then they really can have a really, really positive effect uh, on improving uh, the quality of your protein sources. I have a question, and this is a bit self-serving, at least for my partner here. Oh, um, perfect. You're someone that I, I at least uh, I gather is recovering from a major injury. Um, yeah. How how would you cater um, lifting heavy to a man like Mr. Doctor Drew Pinsky who um, has a, has a bum shoulder? Is there ways to supplement with the you know the physical therapy, or is it something you just got to kind of train around? You know, if you weight train and you weight train heavy, I mean, there's going to be, there's going to be some soft tissue injuries. That's, that's kind of the nature of the game. That's one of the downsides to it. Uh, me personally, you know, I've, uh, I've torn a pectoral in my time. Uh, that was probably the most major injury I had because that required surgery. Nothing else I ever did required surgery. Um, I have a, what's been hampering me for the last couple of years. I have a bulge disc between L4, L5, which is kind of the squatters injury. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's one of those things that kind of flares up here and there. I don't know if I would call it major. It, it's, it's very painful when it acts up, but in terms of like something that requires surgery, you know, there's a lot of, and I'm not a lower back health expert by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, the outcomes for lower back surgery Terrible. are pretty awful. Terrible. Especially, um, especially for pain. Don't ever do it for pain. Yeah. If you, um, if you lose function you know, the, one of your limbs, you got to do it, but otherwise forget it. Yeah, the really the only, from my understanding, the only reason you would ever want to have lower back surgery um, in terms of disc stuff is if that disc was actually causing uh, a nerve to, to start to act, like really rubbing a nerve so bad that it was going to cause, you know, permanent nerve damage. Well, no, uh, no, only, only motoric or, or positioning. If it's sensory, yeah. don't worry about it. <laughs> but if it's, yeah. if it's motoric, yes, then you want to do something. Yeah. And, and, and there's, there's now, there was a recent study that came out that showed, I think something like 60% of people who have disc, like either herniated discs or bulge discs have spontaneous resorption of those discs. It's it's more like a hundred percent. It's, it's, it's like, it's closer to that. I'm being facetious, but it's a huge number, huge percentage. And, and again, particularly when it's pain and not muscle wasting and, you know, positioning problem, that kind of thing. Right. So for me, it was very painful, but it's more about finding the right, uh, the right balance of, okay, how hard can I train? What style can I train and how much rehab and prehab do I have to do to, to limit that? And also it's about being smart because, um, you know, at the end of the day, I'm somebody who will overdo it more than I'll underdo it. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll, I'll be in, I'll be in a lot of pain and I'll go, no, no, I'll be okay. Okay. Uh, and so taking some of those days and saying, all right, discretion is the better part of valor. Let's walk out of the gym today versus trying to plow through it. I, I, uh, I, you said something that I think is really good. Uh, physical therapy. If you can find a good physical therapist. And when I say good, I mean somebody that can teach you how to move somebody who is a really good movement specialist. 
um, and then can also look at problems you're having uh, and, and correct those with corrective exercise. I, I, I had a really good uh, PT named Jamie Alumbra. Uh, I, had a, I had a hip injury years ago that actually took me out of the world championships. It sucked. Um, and it was diagnosed as bursitis and they wanted to go in and remove my bursa on my hip. And, um, you know, it it fits some of the characteristics of bursitis in terms of it hurt, (laughs) but I went and started learning about bursitis and turns out that that's kind of a garbage can term for general hip pain that they can't identify. And I, and I went to another doctor and he said, well, before we go cutting your bursa sack out and, you know, he's like, by the way, that's there for a reason. Um, why don't we refer you to a physical therapist? So the first thing she said was, let's get you moving better. Let's figure out what causes pain. Let's figure out what doesn't cause pain. Let's work in the realm of what doesn't cause pain. Let's get you moving better. And man, I, it was, you know, before I went to her, squatting 135 pounds was a nine out of 10 pain in that hip. Oh. And after working with her for three weeks, I it wasn't pain-free, but I could squat to depth without a ton of pain. And it just, it blew my mind that just doing, you know, little band exercises for my glutes and my adduction, that that, that would make such a difference, but it did, you know? But, you and know, so yeah. I'm not saying that, that that fixes everything, but I think having a good physical therapist can make a huge difference for people with some injuries. For sure. They're very, very well trained. It's interesting to me, I've often sort of wondered a little about this and really just sort of, an, this is almost a rhetorical question, but how much you know i deal with people whose pain perception is amplified and their their pains their the way they perceive pain is abnormally intense and abnormally emotionally charged i sometimes think people lift weights become immune to pain a little oh, bit i definitely think i think so, we yeah. ignore pain in a way that may not be that healthy we just get used to discomfort and pain it doesn't bother us we don't, we don't pay attention to it there, there was actually uh, a lower back specialist who came and spoke at the university of illinois while i was there and i went and saw him and one of the things he said is that what he tended to see was that people, people who didn't lift weights would, or non-athletes, he said, would come into uh, with an MRI and they would say, oh my God, I'm in excruciating pain. Please help me. And I'd look at their MRI and I'd be like, you've got like one disc that's like barely moved. Right, you've got what you most, most humans have. Right. Well, what's, what, yeah. If you take a uh, hundred Americans and MRI them, 60 of them will have herniated discs. Absolutely. And they're asymptomatic, and by so the way. So whenever a patient goes, I have, a, I have an L1, 2, 2, 3, 4, 2, disc apology. It's like, okay, that, okay, so do I. So, and then he said, he'll get athletes that'll come in and he'll, they'll be like, you know, yeah, it's, uh, something down there kind of bothered me a little bit, you know, and he'll look at their MRI. He'll be like, well, you have three disc herniations, two yeah. disc bulges, and yeah. you have in plate fractures at all your vertebrae. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's, yeah. I think when you train one, you're, you're used to dealing with pain. Yeah. And so you can, you learn to not listen to those as much. Yeah. Um, but you can also, it can go the other way too. Like, um, I tell people, you know, don't, if something really hurts and, you know, there's a difference between, okay, you've got some tendonitis in your knee or you've got some kind of nagging small tissue, soft tissue injury versus you've got something that's intensely painful. Don't keep working on that and expect it to get better. Because like I sensitized my hips so much to the point where I couldn't even do anything. You know, it started out being modestly painful when I was squatting at over 500 pounds. And I kept trying to work around it, work around it, work around it 
to the point where I couldn't even squat 135 pounds because I had sensitized it so much. So um, it can go the opposite direction too. But I think you're right in general, just go lift weights, people. It's good for you. Right. Like <laughs> it's, right. I think that if you look at a lot of the problems that are caused uh, by disease, um, if you could, you don't even have to get people to lose weight. This is the, the the dirty truth that people don't talk about. People could be fat and still be and have every metric of health be in check if they just lifted weights and did some activity. Yeah. Like it's actually extraordinarily fast how fast it will correct within months and some people within weeks. If you just get them moving and doing some exercise, it's incredible. In fact, of in weight loss, they show that almost all the benefits of weight loss are in like the first 10%. So it's pretty interesting. I I don't even think that, you know, like people draw this association between type two diabetes and obesity and they say, well, one causes the other. I don't think either one causes the other one. I think they both evolve in parallel and it's just from the same problems. It's overall unhealthy lifestyle. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. My last question, uh, and then we'll let you go. And it's been really just fantastic talking to you, Lane. Um, And this again is going to be a little self-serving this time for me. In the long term, with uh, especially with uh, you know uh, application to your clients um, in bodybuilding and physique training, the use of stimulant and and fat burning uh, agents, things like ephedrine and clenbuterol, uh, is a lot of the 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 scare tactics. Are they something to be taken for you know seriously, or in the long term are they relatively innocuous if they're used? Ephedra, ephedrine, and 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 clenbuterol, yeah. In particular, those are the two. Uh, ephedra, the, how much is responsible to ephedra? Ephedra? I, I th- oh, no, ephedrine. Ephedrine. Okay. Ephedrine. Well, right. um, I think that with the exception of a few things, uh, you know, there's no free rides. Sure. Uh, anything, anything, it's like it's like drugs, right? Like pharmaceuticals. Um, anything that has a pharmaceutical effect, there's a reason they list the, the side effects really quickly at the end of the commercial. You know what I mean? Like, everything's got a price you got to pay. Now, some, some aren't that bad and some are really bad, you know, um, you know, things like, uh, you know, if you look at steroids overall, you know, people say, well, if you just took low doses of steroids, um, and you know, you were monitored by a doctor, is it really that unhealthy? Uh, no, it's probably not. It's probably not that bad for you. Um, but you know, Anything, things are, you know, those kind of drugs can be addictive just like anything else. Absolutely. You know, yeah. um, and so you get some people who, you know, they start taking it because they have uh, self image problems. And instead of addressing the root of the problem, they, they, they do that. And pretty soon they're taking every drug under the sun because, you know, it, uh, they like the way it feels. So um, I think that, you know, steroids have probably gotten a relatively bad rap in terms of, you know, there's things out there that we prescribe all the time that are way worse for you than steroids. I mean, hell you take four, four, or what is it like eight times the amount of Tylenol you're supposed to take and that can kill you. So, I mean, in terms of compounds out there, there's probably stuff that's way worse. that will kill you way faster. I mean, you know, alcohol and nicotine are still both, both legal. Well, so, but this is another question. We always wonder why nicotine wasn't used as a weight loss drug. And it, it is. is. It is. It is. It is. Now, yeah, for sure. Uh, in, in terms of uh, like, if you look online and message boards, there's a lot of bodybuilders who who use nicotine as a, as a weight loss supplement. Okay. Um, you know, I, I actually. I, I'm just wondering why medically it's not recommended for people that really are struggling. Yeah, I guess. Well, you know, 
it's like, all right, well, yeah, that's one of those things where, you, okay, which which one do you want? Do you want the downsides of nicotine or do you want the downsides I, of being obese? I, I don't see much downside to nicotine. I, when it's isolated from the tobacco. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah I, that's true. That's true. That's I true. Um, yeah, I guess I was thinking about people who, who smoke. But yeah, yeah no, no, nicotine. nicotine, nicotine it, 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 it sensitizes the adolescent brain in ways that are not good. But once you have an adult brain, I just don't see any downside if you're if you're really having a medical problem with your weight right. or diabetes or dietary management, whatever it might be. Yeah, it, it is a very, very powerful uh, appetite suppressant, which is why you also see people who quit smoking tend to gain a lot of weight. Yeah. Um, one, because of the oral fixation, um, they switch to something else. But two, also because they're, they're not having the nicotine anymore. And so they're very, very hungry because you're you're like you said, your body adapts to everything, right? So it wants to go back to homeostasis. It wants to go back to a baseline. So if you take nicotine for a really long time, your craving level um, is going to kind of gradually creep back up to what a normal human's craving level is, even when you're on nicotine, because you've been on it so long, your body's adjusted to that. That's now your homeostasis. So now when you go off of it, you're ravenous, right? Um, Just like, uh, other things like you, if you take something long enough, you desensitize receptors. Yeah, yeah. It's just kind of how, how things go, you know? Um, but you know, and I, things like clenbuterol, you know, uh, I think there's some liver toxicity associated with that, but I'm, I'm not completely sure. Um, but I, you know, I tell people like, if you're, if you're going to do that, just first off in my world, a lot of people do it for physique competition. And I'm like, all right, if your goal is to win the Mr. Olympia one day, okay, I get it. You know, that's going to be, you're going to have to do that. But if you're doing it because you think you're, there's this pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and you're going to have all these like lucrative contracts and, you know, do like there are (laughs) very few people get paid for photo shoots. That doesn't work that way. It's the other way around. You pay the photographer and then you use the photos to hopefully market yourself. Um, so I think a lot of people do these drugs thinking they're going to get in this great shape and that's going to cause them to come into all this money. The reality is there's somebody that looks better than you at the health club right down the street. So like, um, you know, I'm, I'm under no delusions. Like I I built a pretty good physique, but I, we can go in, I can go into a gym and find somebody with a physique similar to mine who's willing to take absolutely nothing to shoot an ad for a supplement. Right. So I'm not going to get rich in that realm. Uh, I'm just, you know, I'm different because I've got an education and I can talk about this stuff. But um, yeah, I think a lot of people get into the the, the game of um, steroids uh, because they think there is some pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And that's really vastly not true. At BioLane on Twitter, and I can't recommend it enough. Even if you're not interested in fitness, you just want to see people get shit on. I <laughs> go to at BioLane on Twitter, and then uh, and then BioLane.com. I want to I want to look at these workout schedules. I was I was intrigued by the website. I'm I'm into it. BioLane.com is where awesome. you need to go, and then look at the workout builder. There's also a wealth of information there, just free articles about nutrition and things. Uh, Lane, dude, it was a real pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. And uh, Mike, I wanted to mention our buddy Jason Ellis. His Ellis Mania is uh, August 24th, 25th, and 26th, right? You'll be there. I'll be there. I'm fighting. You're fighting? Yes. What are you doing? (sighs) Blindfold dog collar match. Oh Gosh. my God! That's the best, my favorite of all. I know it's You'll the most ex- brutal of all. It's easily the most brutal of all. It, it's so explain what it is. It's it's the I'm most be blindfolded. Well, it's the most beautiful, brutal, the most unbelievable, and the most hysterical by far. 
by far. I, I would say it's, I, it's up there with Pinata. Pinata's Pinata. up there too. I got to give you. So go ahead, tell them what it is. <laughs> um, it is a fight where there's four contestants in the ring at one time, and you are blindfolded and you are attached. There is a dog shock collar attached around your neck, but not not a like a little uh, like a little. No, it floors you. It floors you. Guys it's, literally it's, fall it, to the well, ground. You, their going. body goes stiff when it really goes off. You start flailing like a fish. And yeah. they usually put the dog collar in the hands of somebody, some hot chick on the sideline or something, right? Yeah. Just somebody just buzz, buzz, buzzes you. And and, and then you're fighting, and you're fighting blindfolded. And you, is one high hand tied behind you or something, too? No, no, no. Just, yeah. you're, just blindfolded. You're boxing gloves and uh, blindfolded, yeah. Oh, my God. So I'm going to run around randomly getting shocked and just swinging at nothing. And then getting swung and hit, too. Oh, I'm sure, but randomly. probably not very much because oh, we're yeah. all blindfolded. Have you studied that that whole... Yes. I've, there are dude, four I've people to, usually running around there. I understand that, but when you're blindfolded, it's really hard to clock someone, especially uh, yeah, in, yeah. you know... In, in anywhere where it would really hurt. Right, you know, you're just enough. flailing, you fair know? Enough. So we'll be, and I'm singing the national anthem. Yes. Again this year, so. So it's the second Could, fight. It's after the lightweight musical chairs, and then <laughs> shock collar flight fight is at 8 or 5 p.m., so everybody has to go. What day? Is that Friday or Saturday? It's I, all I, on Saturday. Oh, it's okay. all on Saturday. The, yeah, the whole fight, the fights are all on Saturday. Oh, okay, Saturday night. That's yeah, the big event. There's it, like there's like a, a trike race on Friday and then some kind of a concert at the Hard Rock. All of our Friday Canadian night. friends, and I know there are lots of you because they all show up at the Hard Rock Seriously. for the Osmania. I've never seen so many Canadians in my life in Las Vegas. It's he's true. Got, I have got, never seen more Canadians even in Canada. Right, he's got lots of Canadian fans. Very interesting. It's right before the female music chairs and the strip chicks. So you're in the pussy area in the window the first, yeah the first four are usually the pussy fighters i'm, I'm a giant mean? meaning i'm a giant pussy <laughs> well you were in the ring with jason that yeah one. yeah i've been in the ring with jason twice yeah one time i had one fucking hand duct taped to another human being and my leg duct taped to another guy and then i just got pounded in the fucking face because i couldn't defend myself yeah because it's one hand the other guy's trying to punch and defend himself and i'm like no give me my right hand so that i and jason just looks literally looked across at me and goes well there's a free shot and just drilled me drilled me in the face oh no um aren't you glad you're just singing the national oh i'm glad i'm not working at his corner either is he doing a crazy fight obviously what's he doing this year uh jason's fighting kyle kingsbury Oh, it's just the two of them. Now he's not going to fight twelve people this time. You know no, he's only fighting one man. But Drew, um, I don't know if you know this fella. We might need to. I might. Uh, he's huge. Yeah, he's a former UFC fighter. Why is it? Why is Jason doing this? Um, because if just because. I think so. I think he really is is driven to entertain. Okay, I you know, it. I think he's yeah. really driven. Anything he's they're trying to think of the most entertaining thing. All right, I get freaked out when I see those fights. They blow my mind because I get scared for my friends. You know what oh. I mean? I, I get I get scared for you when you're in there. I get scared for him. When I, and he made me sit in the, on the corner with him one time when he was fighting. I mean, like he had like nine, ten fighters that one that one year, right? Yeah. I, I have a, I'm having a crisis here. So, oh, do I stop? The Volvo keys are in my pocket, and my wife is at my parents' house without a car. Uh oh! Now well, you know, with a car with no keys. <laughs> is that why you Ubered? Because you only have one car. Yeah. Well, they drove out here so with now us. They have, you have zero now they have. Now they have. Everybody has zero you don't cars have a now. Backup 
keys somewhere? Let's we would do it in our house. At home, but they're, they're, they're there at his grandparents. She, his parents. she went to my parents' house. <laughs> oh, well. So do we do a, a Uber for them now? I guess to here, do you think? And then they can get the keys? <laughs> this is scintillating radio. Okay, kids. Uber will pick Task Rabbit. They'll come pick it up or something like that, right? I don't trust that. I don't know. Do you want me to want me to call her? And... Oh, well. Anyways. Yeah, so... why don't let those two work on it? Well, let's let's wrap up the whole. Uh... Well, I got something to talk about. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I'm gonna talk about my my diet, you know, which is continues to go well. I, I'm it almost scares me. I don't know how to go back, you know. So what I'm, like, people don't know, I'm on this at, at your behest. I started lifting heavier weights. I, yeah. I got a lot to report on. I, I got to okay. talk. Okay. You ready? Yeah, wait. absolutely. All right. So doing more legs than I have in a long time. Heavy squats and li- and deadlifts. Okay. Right? Good. Good. Um, That's where the majority of your body's musculature is. I understand. Know? Fatigue because of that. So on the days when I do that, so I'm sort of dividing it up sometimes. Sometimes I'll do the deads on one day and the squats on another day and just back-to-back them. Yeah. Or, or I'll do it – you know, my gym is in my garage, and so I'll just sometimes just split it during the day. But on those days, I, I'm more tired for sure. Uh, and remember, I'm not eating any, any carbohydrates. Any carbohydrates. Literally any? I get a little bit of almond I was going to say, what about green vegetables and things? Like those have a small amount of – Occasionally, I'm getting that. Okay. okay but uh, – but, uh, but for um, the most um, part, you're getting it in a marginal amount. Uh, there's no way I'm getting 50 grams. Negligible. Negligible amount. Maybe 30, maybe okay. 25. And, um, but I do chip on stuff that moves me in that direction, like cheese, right? So yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll start going with cheese. And, I, and guess what? My progress stalls when yeah. I do that, which People is crazy. People have found that, that dairy, even though it's carb-free, can, can stall ketogenic diets. I was doing much yeah. better without the dairy. Much better. But I love cheese, and I, you know, I'll just go back to it once in a while. And um, I'm eating plenty, you know, adequate green value. I eat spinach, I eat asparagus, I eat, you know, leafy vegetable, that kind of thing, broccoli. But I'm not eating it regularly. And so yesterday, I was very strong. I don't know if I'm, I'm losing weight, but I don't weigh myself. Okay. But, but you know, I can tell my pants are fitting differently, but I'm stronger than ever. And um, now I'm starting to hurt again. Like I, like I feel like I've gone too far with the heavy. Mm. So I think I've been doing it too frequently. That's my bet yeah because i got enthusiastic with it like everything i do and i think i think i'm doing it like I'm, I, even the split legs i'll do twice a week instead of once a week and that may be a little bit much for me well it isn't if the volume isn't is low enough volume of lifts yeah how many amount, how many sets i mean if you're doing if you're doing 20 sets yeah i mean that's I'm doing 15 yeah that's not, not something 14. you're doing numerous times a week if you're doing high frequency you got the volume has to go down but but i can't i'm not doing very heavy i'm doing heavy doesn't matter it's the it's the volume yeah. of right. overall training okay. it, it, that, look, that's what i thought you're confirming what frequency, i thought frequency volume and intensity yeah. all work together yeah. and when for one me, goes frequency up frequency and volume for sure when one goes up yeah. the other has to go down yeah yeah okay you know? so so there's that uh, on the diet side yeah uh, everyone on Twitter is scared to death I'm going to have a heart attack or a stroke. Yeah, but uh, you're not. Well, let me just – Vinny and I – well, Vinny's doing a, 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 a documentary on fat. So when that comes out, we'll show you the science. We're going to talk to – he's going to talk to experts from all over the world on why the fat story is so distorted and how to do it properly, okay? Yeah. I can tell our listeners that I had a cholesterol reading last week, a cholesterol blood profile. It was the best – not that it's been – the best I've ever had in my life. My HDL was higher than it's ever been. I've been trying to get my HDL up my entire life. It went up. 
My LDL was pegged at 90. My triglycerides, which have always been up, 75. Are you serious? That's insane. That's insane. My triglycerides at least should have been modest. Right. They were at the very pegged at the lowest end of the of the of the normal spectrum. And that was, by the way, the day before. The day before, ate half pound of bacon. <laughs> well, there. I mean, I wonder. I've always known. I mean, literally known that dietary cholesterol has nothing to do with your. Well, cholesterol. not nothing because, because. But wait, wait. I'm starting to think it's it's actually beneficial. Well, the HDL for sure. Yeah. I can tell you for sure. But but let me. T- but here's the problem. There's all this data about people dying of multiple causes ingesting too many animal proteins, right? And yeah. so so I don't know what that is yet. I know what it is. What is it? It's that the, the studies are too incomplete. It's like, oh yeah, they eat a lot of animal proteins. There's no knowledge of whether they smoke, whether they eat those well, animal proteins with a bunch of bread, yeah. whether they eat those animal proteins with a bunch of fucking So they corn might be syrup. eating a lot of everything, right? right. So, uh, so let me tell you what I think it is. I mean, let's be honest. Typically, yeah. meat eaters are not you and I. That's meat right. eaters are having hamburgers. You're certainly eating potato with it. Yeah, right? yeah. And you're eating hamburgers, right? So, so let me what I, tell you what I think it is. I, I, I think it's this. Yeah. I think... I think it's central obesity. What people don't know what your point. Yeah, well, I'm gonna. I'll just don't worry. I'll describe it. I, I know how to. I know how to work a microphone. I, mean, you I know. Be, you don't be aware, but I've been on microphone Sorry, before. He knows so, how to work a microphone. So, he has no idea how to work a phone system, but he knows how to work a microphone. <laughs> so I'm pointing at my mid 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 abdomen, yeah. and and you know Susan was looking at. Oh, I'll tell you a story in a second, but but I but I just believe that if Susan was looking at your cock, no, okay, she wasn't. No, not this time. And, and so this, <laughs> if you can get this down, this mid, this abdominal obesity, we the call fupa it, area, the the central obesity, it's called. Yeah. If you can get that around down, the belly button, my bet those. is that's orders of magnitude more important than anything else. Yeah, and so that if you find an effective diet that eliminates this, and this has been that for me. Now you're on to a healthy zone, healthier life. Does zone, that make yeah. sense? Absolutely. I think that's it. I really do because we know this thing. I'm pointing again at my abdomen. It's an inflammatory organ. The panis. It, the, well, I don't have a panis, thank God, but it could become a panis. <laughs> panis is I, a fupa, right? Y- y- yes, fupa is. Uh, I have that. Fupa. <laughs> you do not have a fupa. <laughs> Susan has no. fupa. I am getting fat on his diet though, because the refrigerator is full of bacon, and I love bacon, and I'm not on the all protein. I eat a little bit of everything. Yeah, oh, that she can't do that. So I she know, had on her so 23 and me. On her 23 and me, they told her that she's got this certain gene that's associated with elite muscle performance, yeah. elite athlete. <laughs> well, no, you, you, she can I eat normally for three days. Out. It all goes back she to whatever. She said, "I can't help but eat all that bacon. That's fine, I but then bacon. don't have bread later. That's the key. I that's, don't eat that much, but it's that's the wine. It's no, but I'm saying it's the wine. Yeah, it's the wine. But hormonally, it throws it all off. Then you get in that weird spot. But I've you know? been eating a lot of bacon since I was a kid, and I was never fat. All right, so so let's just agree that uh, I think that where the story is incomplete is the, the you factor in limiting central fat distribution, you you will have your answer. I yeah. really believe that. Yeah. Um, so we have swole meats in front of you. Yes. I brought up some swole meats. Yes. I spent the morning barbecuing in anticipation of you arriving oh, yes. at the instruction of my wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want you to tell me what I should eat here. Describe what's here and tell me what I should eat. Everything but the crackers. Well, I'm obviously, I don't even see crackers. Okay. Yeah, why'd you put crackers? Uh, Drew, I, like, I did not. Oh, that looks was like you got stuff. some lean sirloin there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and you got really some good. bacon. Yep. Uh, looks like a chicken breast. Uh, yeah. Some, yeah. Some type of chicken sausage. Is that a chicken sausage? Uh, 
What is that sausage? We don't even know. Bratwurst. It's a bratwurst, so it's Beautiful. a veal. Um, and got some uh, vegetables. Maybe some turkeys. Veggies. Yeah, bratwurst. That's right. Okay, so what do we do with that cheese? Just for, I'm not going to eat I, it. Listen, I have no problem with dairy, but I, 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 it's it's far too many people I'm have. I've, eat the in, cheese. in podcasts I've heard, in 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 interviews of people, in um, experts talking yeah. about it, so many people hammer home that even if you stay within a the same caloric kind of window. Yeah. Something about dairy can stall a lot of people's. Oh, that's me. That's uh, me. Progress. Okay, so there you go. Uh, and but I do love cheeses, fancy, you know, hard cheeses. And stuff, so I will yeah, still eat bomb. them just because I like them. But um, I talked to Kate Shanahan. I think I told you the other day, and she was telling me I was probably out of ketosis because I was taking too many calories. Uh, and so again, back to the probably food. out of ketosis. You're having too much protein. Uh, same same thing, right? So, no. so I have two questions. So I have yeah. two questions. Should I be aiming for ketosis again? I, I think it's or just even matter? honestly, I think it's just a nice uh, byproduct. I don't think it's something to see. Okay, because because for me, yeah. when I'm in ketosis, I'm aware of it because I sleep less and I think clearer. Well, then go for it. But I don't really know how to keep myself in that zone. I don't know if it's really good for me to be. You got it. You got to bring down your protein. Okay. And you got to so, up your fats. I think that's correct. That's what it feels like to me is necessary right now. No, so, that's that's there's science about it. No, 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 no. But but I but I think the the point is, I'm aware that that's true. Yeah. Uh, and yet I'm having trouble finding enough fat, the right kind of fat, and keeping the calories down. And by calories, protein because everything's Listen, protein right now. Stop eating. Uh, replace one of your meals. I with, don't eat meals. I'm sort of snacking. Okay. Replace one of your snacks yeah. with a coconut cream. Um, smoothie and you will you'll rectify all the problems you'll get another 50 grams of fat you know maybe maybe more and it'll coconut be cream there's lots of different kinds of coconut creams out there some of them are highly no sugar coconut, coconut coconut fat you mean coconut milk can be fatty can be sugary um coconut water well, i put coconut cream in my coffee it tastes like i poured sugar into it well then, it's not plain coconut cream. Look, okay, I'm gonna now, I'm gonna bring it up on. No, I think you've got you, Susan. There's there's a coconut fat thing up in the closet. Can you get it? Coconut cream is, is right an thing. isolation. But our next guest is coconut waiting, cream. So. Oh, okay, all right, we'll wrap. Coconut it up. We'll cream wrap it up. is an isolation. We'll talk about it. Mike and I are gonna do a podcast control. just talking, updating stuff. So we'll we'll bring it back on. But that. just real quick, but, coconut cream is an isolation of the fat from coconut, and it and it's creamy and it's it's like whole cream from dairy, like heavy whipped yeah, cream, yeah, but yeah. made with coconut. And have you tasted that lately? Absolutely. I drink it all the time. It doesn't taste sweet? It does. I got you the It has no sugar. Who gives a shit if it tastes sweet? That's what How I could it taste sweet and not be sugar? Your tongue will A lot of things in life do that. No. Listen, not like this. Coconut, organic coconut cream. Right there. In a can, right? They're in yes. cans. Yeah, yeah. And in a can. Uh, I can show you the- Do we have that now? And when you say smoothie, what, do I, what do I do? I, t- I open this with a can opener, pour it in. I take uh, one scoop of collagen protein, which only has about yeah. nine or ten grams of protein. Yeah. Yeah. And it's chocolatey. You know, and I, I mix it in, and it's. Can it's I use awesome. your Can I use your chocolate protein stuff you gave me? I I, be, I maybe use a half a scoop because, like I said, you want to you want the calories down, right? Yeah, get, no, then, no, no, no. You want to get the protein down. I mean, yeah, calories, well, that's calories. That's calories. Yeah, because uh, uh, any, any calorie source other than that fat. Sounds good. Yeah, and, and um, this okay, okay. this can has five servings. That's three hundred calories of thirty grams of fat and. Uh, Total sugars less than one gram. 
Wow. All right. Okay. So text me that, that. can't. Right. Text to me. The coconut's going to save your. And, and then diet. again, I want to know a smoothie, a smoothie like I put ice, coconut cream, yeah. and, and collagen. A, and a, and a if I don't have collagen, is there anything else? I, I like collagen for ketogenic purposes, but uh, no, I mean, any protein should work. Just try, try to stay away from like a whey isolate because that can be insulogenic, even yeah. though it's absent of carbs. I, by the way, on the, on the dairy front, before I finish, I, I feel like, again, experimenting a little bit, like yogurt doesn't do the same thing to me that cheese does. Maybe the probiotics have something to do with it. I don't know. I take lots of probiotics. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. It doesn't make it, sense. It, it, I, maybe I haven't experimented enough. So, okay. Thank you. Hey, everybody. It is the Swole Patrol Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Mike Catherwood. And Dr. Drew is at Dr. Drew, of course. Join the email list today. Send your questions. DrDrew.com slash contact. And put Swole at the top of the email so we can get your comments. And this will get you a weekly email reminder with a link to this show and all the great shows that Dr. Drew and I do and all the shows that Dr. Drew does by himself and, of course, with Adam Carolla, the great ace man. Please tell a friend and subscribe on iTunes. Don't forget to rate us five stars. And on Podbean or Google Play, all three help us out. We also are on YouTube slash Dr. Drew, and I hope you can give us all your comments, even if if you're a troll and you want to destroy our feelings and our emotions. Support our sponsors and the show. Click on the banners on drdrew.com for the links for special discounts for the products Dr. Drew and I endorse 100%. Send questions and comments to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Swole Patrol Podcast or on Twitter at Swole Patrol Pod. And uh, be good. Be swole. Hashtag Swole Patrol.